0: Today is Tuesday, April 6th, and today we're gonna be continuing our discussion on those elements that we can inadvertently or sometimes intentionally involve ourselves in that can literally destroy what we've experienced with this higher Christian life by grieving the Holy Spirit in such a way that we're just back down to that roller coaster mode of spiritual existence, where we're up today and down tomorrow and one step forward and two steps back, which I can speak from personal experience, and I think you'd agree with me, none of us wants that. So let's go ahead and discuss it today, shall we? Yesterday, we talked about the importance of self-control in your personal spiritual life in order to maintain intimacy with the Lord and keep that experience of the higher Christian life. Yesterday, we also looked at the testimony of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, regarding his commitment to a life of self-discipline in order to make sure, as he said at the end of that passage, that when all is said and done, when he finished preaching to others, when his life was over, he would not be, and the word he used was disqualified. And it means unapproved, unworthy, worthless, rejected, or even worse, deemed to be a castaway by the Lord. In other words, Paul wanted to make sure there were no besetting sins in his life, no areas of his character that were offensive to the Lord, that grieved the Holy Spirit, that he refused to deal with because it was too difficult, or he became comfortable in living that way, or it's just the way I am. Because for Paul, the most important thing in his life was not sin. It was not the temporal pleasures that, according to eternity, only last for a moment. But it was this ecstatic joy that he had already experienced of, and I know just tasted of compared to what heaven would be like, but this joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit who dwelt in him. You might want to start at Romans and just circle that all the times Paul says in Christ and all the times he says about the Spirit of the Holy Spirit and run it through all his letters, and you will see, like the book of Acts, that it's all about our interaction and our relationship to and our Intimacy with the one that Jesus said it was better for us that he went to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father so he could send us another helper, another comforter, another paraclete, just like Jesus, who would be with us forever. One thing that Paul recognized, that I have recognized in my own life, and if you were honest, you would probably say you have recognized it in yours too, is that Paul was his worst enemy when it came to grieving the Holy Spirit and living even for a moment in the flesh. The more I read the New Testament, the more it seems like Paul had a keen understanding of the power of sin in his own life. And he was firmly convinced that the flesh cannot win a war against itself a house divided cannot stand, is what Jesus said. You cannot defeat sin by keeping the law in the flesh, no matter how committed you are or how hard you try, because you're using the instrument of your members that we yield to sin to fight against sin. And it's really a fruitless battle. The cards are all stacked against us, the fix is in, because greater is your flesh than your good intentions or your self-determination. Your own testimony and my own testimony and Paul's own testimony bears that fact. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, chapter seven, verses 14 through 25, kind of a long passage, Paul describes his war with his own flesh and the principles or laws that he saw in what he wanted to do with his spirit and his mind serve the Lord, love the Lord, be faithful to the Lord. And yet this law that worked in the members of his body, that lust, that pulled against that and made him want to do other things. The same struggle that I have and probably the same struggle that you have, if you were truly honest with yourself. Long passage, I'm gonna add a few comments. Let me read this to you now. Romans chapter seven, for we know Paul says that the law is spiritual, or literally it means it's according to the mind and will of the Spirit, the law that lays out for us what God intends for us to do and how to live and how to function and please Him. Paul says that we know the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, he says. I am of the flesh. I am governed by human nature and not by the Holy Spirit, sold in bondage to sin, I can't think of a better picture or description of man than that. I know what is good. I know the law is good, but I am fleshly, I am carnal, and I've been sold in bondage to sin. And then he begins to describe in Romans chapter 7 how he knows that is true and how it affects his actions on a day-by-day basis. For what I am doing, this is my voluntary choice, I don't understand for what I will to do, what I desire to do, what I intend to do, what I make it my purpose to do, my promises to God, the vows that I make, the resolutions, for what I will to do. And of course, for Paul, that was to serve God, to experience the intimacy with the Spirit. You can add in there whatever you want to do with the Lord. For what I will to do that I do not practice, It doesn't say that I do not do, because maybe occasionally he does, but the word he uses is practice, which means to do something repeatedly, continually, habitually. For what I desire to do that I do not do repeatedly, continually, habitually, but what I hate like grieving the Holy Spirit, or continuing in the same sin we don't get victory over, or whatever you're struggling with. But what I hate, that I do. And then he begins to draw a conclusion about this. If then I do what I desire not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, because God's standard is perfect, and the law is good even when it points out that I'm a sinner. But now, he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin, note this, that dwells in me. The word dwell means the word that we get for live or abide, or the literal meaning is to pitch one's tent, to make their home. That I agree that the law is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, I who do. Break the law, I who commit sin, but this sin that actually makes its home in me, and where it makes its home is in our flesh. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, he says, nothing good, here's that word again, dwells, lives, abides, to pitch one's tent, to make one's home. For to desire to do right is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I have a desire to live godly. I have a desire to surrender my life to the Lord. I have a desire to experience the Holy Spirit in an intimate way. I have a desire to embrace the higher Christian life, but I don't know how to do it. How to perform what is good, I do not find. I cannot do it in the flesh for the good he says that I desire to do I don't do but the evil that I will or desire not to do and then he uses this word that I practice habitually continually repeatedly the things that I want to do the good I want to do I don't do like on a maybe a singular basis but the things that I don't want to do the evil that I don't want to do, I do habitually, over and over again, and I can't seem to get victory over that." He continues, "...now if I do what I will or desire not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells, lives, and abides in me." So what's the principle, Paul? What's the law? What's the conclusion? Here's how he ends this passage. I find that a law, literally a principle, and here it is, that evil is present with me. And he describes himself as the one who desires to do good. I desire to do good, but evil is always present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, According to the bottom of my heart, my deepest desire is the fact that I delight in wanting to serve God and do the things of God, but I see another principle in my members, and that's his flesh, warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, sin in my flesh. There's a battle constantly going on between what I want to do and what I actually do and what I don't want to do and what I actually do. And Paul sums it up like this, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, and that word means to set free or rescue from danger, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin, because sin resides in the flesh. The flesh tempts us, the flesh craves for self-gratification, for temporary pleasures, and then our mind chooses not to follow the law of God, but instead to give in to the demands of the flesh, and we succeed and fail, and fail and succeed to the point that we're overwhelmed and we struggle, and oh, what a wretched man that I am, I might as well just give up. This is the struggle we all face, but, but there's more. According to the passage we just read, at least in the flesh, it seems like the turmoil is nonstop with no clear victor. Sometimes the spirit wins, sometimes my mind wins, sometimes the flesh wins, but more than not, I'm up and down and down and up and up and down, and it's anything other than the abundant life in Christ. That is why you cannot wage this war in the flesh. The only way to have victory over the sin in your life and to not grieve the Holy Spirit and experience his intimacy is to let the Holy Spirit overcome the enemy in your flesh by living his life through you. And just in case you've missed it over the last three weeks, that is the definition of the higher Christian life. It is the definition of the abundant life. It is not you living for him but him living through you. Think about Paul and think about our own lives compared to him. This is Paul after his salvation, after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, after being used by the Lord in ways we can only imagine, now gives us a glimpse into his personal spiritual inner struggle, and it seems his battle with the flesh was like on a daily, ongoing, protracted campaign just like mine and probably just like yours. He did not pray once, like sometimes we read some of these testimonies, and poof, all his problems were gone. He continually had to surrender himself to the Lord and discipline his mind and body, not to act on their own, but to be subject to his mind and his desires and his will, which, of course, were to follow Christ, or like he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, to know nothing among you, nothing on my lips, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So how did he do? Did he succeed? Well, sometimes and sometimes probably not, just like you and just like me. But I think the difference between Paul and most of us is that when Paul failed, he confessed his failure, he repented, he received the forgiveness from the Lord and the cleansing from all unrighteousness that 1 John 1, 9 promises us, and then, and here's the step that probably set him apart from most of us, he then did whatever he could to make sure he never failed again. He was determined to discipline his body to not act according to its sinful nature, but to be subject to his mind, his will, and his desire. And for Paul, and probably for you and me, This was a daily struggle. I will not let my flesh go unchecked, but I will bring into subjection. I will literally buffet my body and beat my body to make it my slave, so that I've taken whatever step is necessary not to fall into the same sin or same sin pattern again. He was self-controlled, temperate, we looked at yesterday, and disciplined. So what does this mean for us? What is our first step when it comes to living this victorious kind of life that Paul talked about? Well, it's simply this. Without self-control, without you and I saying no to maybe what we used to say yes to, we're shooting ourselves in the foot and we're working against ourselves in this life of holiness. We become our own worst enemy. Instead of asking, does this event or thought or relationship or entertainment or words that come out of my mouth glorify the Lord, we twist it around and say, well, it's not so bad or what's so wrong with it? Elevating our flesh above our spirit and when we do, We become our own worst enemy. Paul did not do that. He suffered mistakes and failures like you and I, and yet he learned from his mistakes. He practiced self-control. He practiced discipline. and, And when it comes to our personal liberty, something we'll talk about later on this week, something that we hold on to our freedom and our liberty to do what we want so tightly, I think we can sum up paul's position in the words of oswald chambers and he says this when in doubt don't with an exclamation point when in doubt don't i hope you're seeing the importance of not only achieving holiness in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, and Jesus who became for you sanctification from 1 Corinthians 1.30, that we looked at yesterday and some last week. But I hope you're seeing how important it is to maintain that holiness, to maintain that intimacy and not grieve the Holy Spirit. And that only comes from repentance and then self-discipline and changing your lifestyle to not fall into the same sinful habits again. Be blessed today, and we'll talk more tomorrow. Until then.